Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up, internets? This is Chico Leo with another Fan Bros special delivery. And I am, as always, flying high above the Brooklyn night. And tonight I am flying solo. So first up, a little sad news. Uh, Wes Craven, the horror mastermind behind the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, People Under the Stairs, Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, The Scream franchise, and so many, 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 many more movies passed away of brain cancer and so just a uh, a moment of silence for Wes Craven because horror is definitely on the uh, on the agenda this evening so tonight we had the second episode of Fear the Walking Dead so close yet so far And I got to say, you know, they really had the luxury of doing the slow burn on the pilot, but I don't see why they couldn't have put these two episodes together uh, because things definitely started coming together here. And if this had been the second half of a two hour event, um, I know that the pilot was the most watched premiere ever on cable. But just in terms of quality, um, I feel like uh, if they had put these two together, it would have been even more powerful. So a lot, a lot really came together tonight. Um, I think we're still all learning to like the characters, some more than others. And uh, there's already other characters that whether we like them or not, it's irrelevant because they died this episode. Shout outs to... uh, Randy Wagstaff from The Wire, who disappeared in the first episode, and we feared the worst, and we got it in this episode. Uh, we also got some more information. So the and I'm so, I apologize for not knowing the actor's name. I'm gonna or the character's name. I'm gonna refer to him as Randy Wagstaff. But the daughter of the main family, her boyfriend, um, he went missing for a while, and we find out that he's really sick and he's been sick for like 24 hours. He has a bite on his shoulder, but in the walking dead that we're used to, it certainly seems to take a lot longer for people to turn when they've, they get bit. Um, and it's not clear here if the sickness comes first or, you know, it had it had to start somewhere. So there was someone who turned into a zombie without being bitten by a zombie. How did that happen? So already, you know, th- there's a little bit that's uh, that's different. But the episode pretty much picks up where the last one left off, and things are going. You know, I'm not going to say from bad to worse, but they're going from yeah. I mean, they're going from bad to worse. Um, and we're beginning to see the beginnings of societal breakdown. And they do it, you know, always, as I've said on the original Walking Dead, that it's always so much better when they show, don't tell. 
So there's like ill shots just of a cop loading up his car with water or a car going by and all the kids in the back seat looking out the window having surgical masks on. Um, towards the end of the episode, from a distance across the street, we see a neighbor murdering his family. I mean, assume, I'm assuming the neighbor was a, a zombie at that point. And whenever they sort of start to stop and talk is when this show, like the other one, kind of kind of falls down a little bit. Um, but we, uh, we now have basically three family units that we've been in, in, introduced to. The main one on the first episode, which is Kim Dickens as the mom, Cliff Curtis as her boyfriend or husband, and there are two kids, um, Annoying Girl and Johnny Depp look like. And then there's Cliff Curtis's previous family, which includes his son and his wife, who I believe was on Orange is the New Black and on Six Feet Under. And she's Latina. It's not clear what ethnicity Cliff Curtis's character is. He's actually Maori, uh, I believe, from uh, New Zealand, a native person from there. But we've seen him a lot playing like cholos and vatos and gangsters. Um, I mean, he's definitely gotten more roles, but that was sort of where his bread was buttered in Hollywood. His character's name is Travis, which doesn't sound so Latino. So I don't know what his ethnicity is. And then there's another family that we've been introduced to, which is Ruben Blades and his character's daughter named Ophelia. And Cliff Curtis and his family seek shelter in the store run by Ruben Blades. And he has a very, oh, and he has a wife. And they're all sort of super religious, also Latino. Um, so we've got these sort of three family units, which I feel like is going to be the main, you know, the main thing I think is going to be them getting out of L.A., them linking up and getting out of L.A. And there's some annoying stuff there and definitely some dope stuff. So, like I said, so when, when it gets bogged down in conversations, the, the show, you know, kind of kind of falls down. But we definitely got some uh, some Walker uh, they haven't named them yet, but you know we got some really good, some good Walker scenes, keeping true to form. In addition to killing Randy Wagstaff uh, this episode, they killed uh, the only other black character that was still alive, which was Artie, the assistant principal, and Kim Dickens is the one who uh, who took him out um, with the help of a uh, fire extinguisher. And her weird student, Tobias, who seems to know much more about what's going on than anyone else other than the cops. Um, so the show also uh, features, you know, the, they, they mentioned that officer-involved shootings are up, which the, the cops seem to have some idea, more of an idea that something's going on other than the ordinary citizen. But there is a... Uh, police brutality protest after the cops shoot a homeless person who the interesting thing is may or may not have been a zombie um that whole thing in the walking dead where anyone who's dead become you know just sort of gets up and becomes a zombie doesn't seem to be the case here um although they did they did shoot the homeless person in the eye i think 
which would would kill them either way. But the point is uh, that it could have been just the LAPD being trigger happy, but a protest uh, or you know mounts around that, um, which you know could have been ripped from today's headlines. And Cliff Curtis's son is involved in that. So Cliff Curtis has to find his son, links up with his son and his ex-wife, who so far is just an annoying ex-wife. They need to do a lot more with her character. And they end up, um, you know, everything goes to hell. Um, SWAT teams come out. They start shooting people. You know, everyone, you know, becomes a mob, basically. And um, Cliff Curtis gets his family into this store just as they're pulling the gate down. So now they're hiding and everything is going crazy outside. Meanwhile, um, Kim Dickens uh, had to go to the school to get some meds for her son who's going through heroin withdrawal. That's where she hooked up with, with, I believe his name is Tobias, the weird student. She killed the uh, zombie... Uh, assistant principal there was some definitely some good stuff in the school with sound and 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 music and just generally keeping you on the on the edge but she's back in her home with her daughter and her son her daughter's on the phone with her friends her son's you know shooting up oxy in the living room and um she does manage to reach cliff curtis's character travis and so at least they've they're on the phone but essentially, they're gonna have to meet up. They do. She and her daughter do see the guy across the street killing the family. We've seen other neighbors loading up uh, with supplies to get out of there. So people seem to know what's going on. I think the power is starting to go. The phone circuits are all. The cell phone lines are all busy. So things are are starting to fall apart. The uh, Tobias. Uh, does say, you know, when civilization falls apart, it falls apart fast. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely uh, think that they really stepped it up, as we knew that they would, but it's still worth commenting that the first hour was just a lot of setup pretty nakedly. And, um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to the next, I think this is only six or eight episodes, and then the regular Walking Dead is going to start. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to this. I'm imagining, like I said, that it's just going to be them trying to link up and get out of L.A., which, you know, is is such a sprawling city, and, and they keep talking about trying to get to the desert. So... A lot of a lot a lot of a lot of things looking up for Fear the Walking Dead, and also just the uh, if there's three family units and two are Latina, they're definitely stepping that up from the regular Walking Dead, which leads me to the main theme of the evening, which is just looking at this week's TV. I don't think I've ever seen this much or this big a representation of Latinos on TV at any one time in the history of television in the United States of America. Uh, early last week, I think it was Tuesday, From Dust Till Dawn premiered uh, on the El Rey Network, uh, the second season of From Dust Till Dawn, uh, you know, brought to you by Robert Rodriguez with a mostly Latino cast. And it's actually a really great cast 
Um, they had Don Johnson and Robert Patrick in the first season. Um, in this season, they've already they've already introduced Essay Morales and Danny Trejo in both in the premiere as bad guys. And it's a really, it's a great uh, vampire, uh, you know, the mythology, the vampire mythology is really good, going way back with um, Aztec, uh, Mayan um, mythology, and going back to Conquistadors coming, um, Wilmer Vildorama uh, actually pulls it off as as the villain vampire in the first season, and he's still around in the second season. I highly recommend it. The first season's on Netflix. The second season just started. I don't know that everybody gets the El Rey Network, but uh, you know I'm on Time Warner. If uh, if you get the El Rey Network, it's definitely worth checking out. I prefer it to another uh, vampire show you know the strain also brought to you by a great latino director in guillermo del toro and while i have a lot of issues with the strain and i myself have given up on it this season like i've noticed a bunch of people on twitter it was the most watched show on cable last season it had more than one latin character on it it's definitely brought to you by um a mexican director so you're talking just right now two vampire shows on at the same time, both with representation. You know, I mean, like I said, I think like at least 75% of the characters on From Dustle Dawn, if not more, are Latino. So and then that leads me to what premiered this weekend on Netflix, which is Narcos, which I highly, highly, highly recommend um, this is, you know, the pick of the month as far as I'm concerned. I, uh, I read uh, Killing Pablo about 10 or 12 years ago, which was sort of the book about the, this, this miniseries is, or no, it's a regular series. I shouldn't say that. This is a regular series. Is based on the book. They threw up 10 episodes on, on Netflix on Friday for the entirety of the first season. There will be a second season. I'm sure you all know how it ends, but it's how they get there. It's, you know, it's one of these really, really crazy true crime, true stories. Pablo Escobar is definitely a unique figure. Um, you know, he ran for politics. I mean, he at one point he was the most popular dude in Colombia. Um, and this is another one where two of the three leads are Latino. Um, Pablo Escobar is played by a Brazilian actor uh, named Wagner Moura, um, and then the two main de- the two main characters of the DEA agents following him. Javier Pena is played by Pedro Pascal, who I'm sure everyone remembers as Oberon Martel, the Red Viper of Dorne, who met his end uh, at the hands of the Mountain on Game of Thrones last season. Um, and Steve Murphy is the other DEA agent, uh, Boyd Holbrook. And he's really the only, him and his wife are like the only main Anglo characters. This one, 95% of the characters are, um, Colombian. And I would say 75, 80% of the show is in Spanish, um, you know, with subtitles. And 
it it looks really good. I don't know if you noticed. There's a lot. Netflix has seems to have dumped, or maybe they're just you know recommending to me a whole bunch of Mexican TV shows on Netflix, and several of them are about different narcos, and none of them look you know twenty five percent as good as this. And this is a a combined Netflix. This is what Netflix is doing. They're partnering with other people. So this is definitely a Latin production. All the, all the names of the showrunners are all are all Latin men, but uh, Latinos. And uh, this just has a really great budget. It looks really good. I know I spoke to DJ Benjamin this weekend, and he compared it to Goodfellas, although you know favorably. And and it's like that. I mean, it's got the narration, and it's narrated by Steve Murphy. And so the narration is all in English and any scene between him and his wife or him and Pena are in English, but everything else is in Spanish. Uh, Luis Guzman is in it and he's incredible. Um, so it's it's got a really good cast. It looks fantastic. It's following an amazing true crime story. And it's one of these stories that, you know, there's so many like i i had read the book and so i was like oh when are they gonna do this oh did they skip that and no they didn't there's so much outrageous stuff uh involving escobar's rise and the dea and and united states government and colombian government going after him and it is an interesting you know situation where you have one of the you know a guy who's so powerful that he can actually you know go up against whole governments um so you know i i highly recommend narcos it definitely is a you know true crime procedural like i think perhaps the first netflix pick of the week i had way back when two years ago uh was underbelly on netflix which each season takes like a different like 10 year you know uh crime lord and the cops attempt at taking them down in australia and this this reminded me of that although this has a much bigger and better budget than that um so you should definitely check out narcos on netflix and if you like it look up underbelly uh which is similar but of course a little different um and finally, uh, we had this was to, this weekend was the last episode. No one's really talking about it, but it really deserves attention. Is show me a hero, which the only real way that it fits into the theme of tonight is that it stars Oscar Isaac, who's I believe Guatemalan and Cuban, and um, it's the newest production by David Simon. Uh, the creator of Homicide, The Wire, Treme, The Corner. And this is probably the least sexy thing he's done, but in many ways, like, shown the biggest light or the, sh- the brightest light on just how messy democracy can be and that it doesn't happen in a vacuum, especially when it comes up against racism and ignorance. And so it's based on a book that basically followed the attempt of the city of Yonkers, just outside New York City, uh, to prevent townhouses for residents who formerly lived in the high-rise projects from being built on 
the other side of the tracks in Yonkers, so to speak. And they get a federal court order in 1980 that they have to build these townhouses. And over the next 10 or 15 years, we see various mayors and city councilmen and all of that and councilwomen fighting it and, you know, citizen groups. And over six hours, it covers probably about 10 years and it's a really amazing, although again, unsexy, but with a really great cast, uh, portrayal of how something like this happens in the city. And David Simon at this point is definitely, his shows are the greatest portrayals of cities and life in cities. Um, you know, The Wire is the great show. I think it edges out Breaking Bad. I think Homicide is the greatest cop show, which was his first show. Um, the Corner is like a mini version of The Wire. I think Treme is really underrated and well worth a shot. And this is another one showing, you know, real. they're all about real people. And, and the thing that makes The Wire so incredible is that all the characters are so real. And yet you could take like the 38th most interesting character on The Wire and they're so much doper than anybody on most every other show. Um, this doesn't necessarily have it, but it really is a vehicle for Oscar Isaac, who is playing a Polish councilman who becomes mayor and then is voted out but still has a role in the city government um in yonkers and he switches position he goes from being against it to being very for it and suffers politically as a result he definitely reminds you of a young al pacino like basically al pacino everything al pacino did before scarface all the 70s stuff he has that like intensity and um, I just really highly recommend it for the, you know, just look at how messy our democratic process is and how crazy it is that, you know, we live in a country where the government, the federal government can order a little city like Yonkers to do something in 1980 and literally go into the 90s, um, you know, still without having done it. Um, it alternates. I mean, the most interesting stuff are the, the political city council fights and, you know, backroom agreements. It does give fair time to the people who are living in the high rise projects who are actually good, the ones who are going to move to the low rises. Um, it just um, it just doesn't have the same snap as the the uh, the sort of city council, you know, meetings in the mayor office scenes with you know smoke filled rooms and everything like that. Um, but it definitely does show, and it even attempts to show to humanize. Well, it humanizes the white residents who change their mind. It doesn't really, you know, humanize the ones who are, you know, fighting the change and planting pipe bombs and things like that. Um, but uh, I definitely feel like just for everything David Simon's brought to TV and Oscar Isaac is definitely a rising star. Um, he'll next be seen if I don't know if uh, in the uh, the new Star Wars movie, he's going to be an X-Wing fighter pilot i know his the name of his characters out there you know i'm trying to avoid stuff but he's in the trailer and i'm i'm psyched for that and um he was just in ex machina and he was really dope in that so he's a dude who star has been on the rise and 
The rest of Show Me a Hero, the cast is really good. I mean, it's like Catherine Keener, Winona Ryder, Alfred Molina is incredible, Jim Belushi. And then in smaller roles, like a number of people who were in The Wire and Oz show up, sometimes for just a scene, sometimes for like one scene every episode. Um, but it's really well worth it. It's on HBO. Um, I don't know how much success they, you know, expected from it. They threw it into August. Um, usually they start their shows at 9. With this one, they had it on at 8 and 9. They showed two episodes for three weeks. So it does seem like this is one that they're expecting people to find, like either on HBO Go or on demand. I highly recommend it, and I'm very heartened seeing like I mentioned, like on a, on a week like this, that we could be talking about three or four shows, all of which are very popular, all of which have, you know, uh, Latino showrunners and or majority Latino casts. It's definitely been a long time coming. I hope that this is not just like a weird blip, but is something that continues. And um, on that note, uh, I just want to remind everyone that we have some very, very, very special events coming up for Super Week leading up to Comic-Con. On October 5th, we're going to be doing the Star Wars vs. Star Trek Attack of the Con. Uh, on October 6th, we're going to be doing the Black Girl Nerds vs. Fambros shows, a live podcast. And on October 7th, the Crossplay Cosplay Contest. Um, you can definitely look on fanbros.com, find out where and when those are, and you should definitely come out. They're going to be really dope. We have a murderer's row of special guests lined up, and uh, I think it's going to be, these are going to be the tickets to get for Super Week, so go get them. <laughs> <laughs>